This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If I give anybody advice and like, if they want to learn how to speak to an audience or like speak in general yeah. is to speak from what you, your experience, speak from the things yeah. that you understand. Don't try to be an expert in something you don't have any experience with. Cause yeah. you're just going to come off like everybody else. Who's trying to hustle to make a buck. Like mm-hmm. just because there may not be a shit ton of people out there looking for exactly what you have or who you are, but there will be people that will identify with you. And that's where you start. Welcome to the Planner Talk podcast. I'm your host, Vian Ortiz, your planning and business coach and strategist. This podcast was created to give you practical and actionable strategies for planning while paired with conversations about hot topics, tough topics, interviews with business owners and influencers, as well as tips on business and following your passion. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Planner Talk Podcast. I am super excited that you are here to listen to this episode. In this episode, you are going to hear a conversation from me and my guest, Cindy, from Llama Letters. She is absolutely um, just an amazing person in general, a great wealth of knowledge, and I think that we had an amazing conversation. We talked about so many things from life things that I think are really important to chat about, planner-related things, how she got into lettering and kind of her background on her story, as well as some controversial, possible controversial topics um, later on in the episode that you're definitely going to want to stick around for to see her opinion on. And so without further ado, let's jump into this awesome episode with Cindy. Cindy, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you. And it's your birthday today. (laughs) It is my birthday. Thank you for having me. It's a fun way to, you know, celebrate. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the closest thing to a birthday party I've had in a couple of years. So, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes, I know. I can't even think back to the last time I had a birthday party. What was I like, 10 or something like that? Yeah. It's a funny thing for me when I was growing up, for some reason, my birthdays always wound up being like crisis days, like things would happen. I wound up getting heat stroke one year. My birthday's in the winter, but it was, I was yeah. a mascot in high school. So I had to wear the big fur suit. Oh, okay. And we had our basketball homecoming on my 16th birthday. And normally I didn't have to wear the suit during basketball games. I would just get to wear a cheerleading outfit. But yeah. um, that year, my, my advisor was like, no, wear the suit. But we didn't have like an ice vest or anything. Yeah. I wound up getting heat stroke that year. Oh so the birthday parties, the couple of ones I've had where my friends have like done something for me as an adult yeah. have actually been the better birthdays that I've had in my life. Because as a kid, for some reason, every time it just seemed like something would go way wrong. I, love my birthdays. <laughs> I don't love that you had a heat stroke, yeah. but that's pretty funny. <laughs> funny story. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. I'm excited for this icebreaker with you. I want to do this or that, which I haven't done. Okay. Okay. All right. So wine or beer? I don't know if you're a drinker. I'm just assuming. I do. Well, I mean, my husband works in the wine industry. So wine, generally speaking, sparkling wine, sparkling wine. Okay. Any particular Uh brand that we should be buying? Uh, Okay. Well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) lots, 
but right. I really like probably one of my favorites of all time is Scharfenberger. Their Brut Rosé is oh. wonderful, especially if you're having like dessert, like chocolate cake. I had it actually when I went to sushi with my family okay. on Saturday night for my birthday. I They had it okay. on the menu and I was like, yes. So I got to that. But I also really like Prosecco because it's a little okay. less, uh, It's a, the bubbles are a little less intense. Okay. Love that. Love that answer. I'm always in, I haven't drank wine in quite a while, but I'm like a Moscato person, which is not. Same. I like very, Moscato. Okay, good. I'm like, it's kind of sweet. I'm not a red wine person. I think red wine makes you want to, makes me want to floss my teeth. I don't like it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. The okay, best so- wine advice I ever got is that the best wine is the wine okay. you like. Yes. So. I would, I think so. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole on wine. So maybe I should keep going. <laughs> okay. So weird question next phone in bathroom or no phone in bathroom. <laughs> phone and bathroom. Okay. I prefer the, I, if I think too much about it, then it would be phone. No in bathroom, but <laughs> let's just be honest. Be, Who doesn't I'm being honest. I'll have it. Bathroom. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got, I got my husband a Bluetooth speaker that's waterproof to put in the shower so he could get, oh, listen yeah. to music in the shower. Like, yeah, we're definitely <laughs> phone and bathroom people. Okay. Love that. Love that. But I don't want to think Thanks. about it too much. So but yeah, if we start <laughs> thinking about it, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Vacation or staycation? I, that's a good question. I so hard to choose. If I ever took one, oh. then I might have an answer for you. I love going places. I hate traveling. Okay. Like I like being in, like getting to, if I could like transport myself. Yeah. But I, I love, if I do a staycation, I get bored and sometimes I need that. Yeah. But I haven't gone on any sort of vacation in, I want to say over a decade that hasn't been like work related for like planner stuff or visiting family. I like my husband and I got married almost 10 years ago and we still haven't gone to honeymoon yet. Like that's I'm going to put that on the, well now COVID and it's just like, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, ideally my greatest vacation would be going somewhere tropical where I could like lay on the beach and there was no wifi. Like, okay. Yes. That sounds so good. Oh yeah. Let's put that in the books. (laughs) Yeah. So fiction or nonfiction? Uh, I like both quite a bit, but I would probably say fiction. Okay. So what's your latest read? Uh, I actually just finished. It's a book called Courtesan. Okay. By, I can look, I have my Kindle app. It was a book. It's a, it's a historical fiction, which is one of my favorite genres to read. Yes. Courtesan by... Diane Hager. It's um, a historical fiction book about Diane de Portiers, who was the uh, mistress of Henry II, who was married to Catherine de Medici. Ooh, that sounds interesting. She was basically like known as like the actual queen. Like Catherine de Medici's only role was to give birth to babies, which she hated. She did not like that. And Diane de Portiers was his like long-term mistress. It's good. that. And I also just read The Leftovers. Okay. Uh, who's that by? Yeah. I feel like I've heard. Oh, it's okay. I won't. That one's fine. Right. No, it's okay. I've got, like I said, it's in my Kindle, uh, in my phone, my Kindle app, Tom Perota. It was the show, the HBO show, The Leftovers. 
Um, I watched the pilot episode and was like, I'm going to read the book first. So I read the book. So can you pick like a favorite book, maybe in fiction and nonfiction, or is that Mm -hmm. too hard? Okay. Oh, no, that's not hard at all. My favorite book in fiction is It by Stephen King. Um, I'm a big Stephen King fan. So I've been reading Stephen King since I was eight. And um, my favorite nonfiction book is probably, uh, oh, what's it called? It's called, it's Marie Antoinette. It's a biography. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a biography of Marie Antoinette by Antonia Frazier, okay. which was the, my kind of my gateway book okay. out of just reading historical fiction and reading like biographies that like were not quite as dry. My other favorite nonfiction is also down that road. It's called um, Go Down Together. It's a biography of Bonnie and Clyde written by Ooh, Jeff Gwynn. It reads like a novel. It's so good. It's oh. so good. And it's not boring. Neither of those books, the, the Antonia Frazier one's a little drier, yeah. but neither of them read like boring history books. They yeah. read more like novels. Okay. That's interesting. I'm going to have to look that, look that up. <laughs> I love Bonnie. Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot of like self-help and shit, but I'll be real with yeah. you. Like I, most self-help type books, those kinds of books, when I read them, it feels like homework. When I yeah, read I'm, I biographies, yeah. yeah, when I read biographies and other shit like that, it tends to be a lot more interesting to me because that's what right. I'm interested in. So I okay, love that. Yes. Okay. So next one, lose sleep or skip a meal? Lose, uh, skip a meal. Skip a meal. I mean, I'm nauseated all the time because of kidney failure. So I skip a lot of meals anyway, but I am basically exhausted Again, because partly because partly because of kidney failure. Right, okay. I could take a nap right now. So oh. <laughs> I would much rather sleep than than I would I would I could skip a meal pretty easily. Okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. City and this is the last one, city or countryside. Um, can I pick suburbs? Yes. Yeah, pick suburbs. <laughs> this is, we okay, so I up until now, this the largest city I'd ever lived in was around eighty thousand people. And when we moved to the suburbs of Denver, we're in a 300,000 person place right now. And while it feels, the neighborhood feels a lot smaller, it's so nice to have access to things. I love the feel of the country, but I don't love the isolation of it. I Mm -hmm. stress out because I'm paranoid. So, but also (laughs) cities stress me out. So the suburbs for me are like, I'm like, I'm give me, give me the soccer mom lifestyle. I'm here for it. So same same I live in Inland Empire which is in the desert but it's not quite the desert desert it's like suburb desert yeah and I'm Mm -hmm. good with that and my husband wants to move into like a house that has like a ranch and like all like solitude and all that I'm like absolutely not Michael Myers will be coming around the right like no right like my husband there was a while before we found out we were moving to Denver he wanted to move like we bought the house that we owned in Napa was in like it was in, it was in a neighborhood right? I was across the street from my kid's middle school. But like yeah. when we talked about like where we'd want to live next, he was like, we should live somewhere with property, like outside of town. And I'm like, no, I don't want to live somewhere where I have to drive to my neighbor's house. I want to be able to walk next door if I need something. Mm-hmm. So, or at least if like, I'm screaming I, for help, they can hear me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to live in a high rise. I don't want to live in like the city city that also would stress me out. But like, I, I like like where I live now, 
I was joking with my sisters when they came to visit, I was like, you know, it's like you can sneeze and hit a target and I'm fine (laughs) with that. Like, like I'm, I'm fine living in like suburban hell. Like it would kill some people for me. I'm like, no, this is, this is the life I have been dreaming. (laughs) I'm with you. Trust me. Yeah. Um, Love that. Okay. Well, thanks for playing that game. I love that. I just like got so much info out of that, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm interested like, okay. So what does your life look like? Like, give me the rundown off of social media in general, family, all that. (laughs) Sure. So, um, I am married. Like I said, my husband, Jesse is seven years younger than me and he works in marketing for an online wine company. So he's working from home right now. And I work from home. I work for myself. I've done that for six years now. I think six years, something like that. I have two teenagers. I used to share custody of them full time. Like we would do every other week custody when we lived in Napa. But when Jesse got moved out here to Denver for work, the kids decided to come with us. We gave them the choice because their dad was already thinking of relocating. And so this conversation had already come up. So they stay, they go see him for holiday, like breaks and for the summer. Um, My oldest just turned 18, which kills me. I, I don't feel comfortable having an 18 year old. And then my, um, son and they're non-binary and my son is, uh, he'll be 16 in March. So I've got, I've got high schoolers learning to drive bank accounts, all that, but it has been a bit of a rough year or so for them because one of my kids is dealing a lot with, um, major depressive disorder and general anxiety disorder, as well as disordered eating and, um, and some physical problems with their joints that we're still not sure of the cause, but we think it's either fibromyalgia or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And one of the nice parts about moving to this area is that we have very close access to children's hospital who have a huge battery of specialists that we have been seeing, but that's been my life. I also have kidney disease. I have polycystic kidney disease, which is genetic, and I'm in kidney failure waiting to potentially get a transplant. Mm. And um, so having, we bought our house within 15 minutes drive of the transplant center. That was part of our calculations for shopping for a house because you have to be close after getting a transplant for about at least three months afterwards, because you're going there several times a week for blood work. You need to be in close in case you have any rejection issues. So my life has my life generally day to day is a lot of work and doctor's appointments. Mm. Um, we also have a cat who is three almost and a nine month old puppy who has made our lives very interesting. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to hear about most of that. I mean, it sounds, it's it's, challenging. I'm sure, you know, to deal with. Well, and I like to bring it up because it's like, it's, it's so funny. I have this like dichotomy, right? Like this, my life has been very rough and especially recently. And yet I'm very happy with my life. So like the hard, the things that are hard that we're going through and the struggles make things really difficult. But in general, I'm, I'm very satisfied with my life, which makes, I think the harder things a little easier to manage because I'm not, I'm not coming from like a foundation that's shaky. Yeah. I've been there. Like I said, I, I, I'm divorced from my, my first husband. That was not a good marriage for either of us. And we're both in better marriages now. So that's so great to hear. And do you think yeah. that maybe it's just the resilient, the built up resiliency that allows you to kind of just deal with whatever's coming your way or what, what do you think is the foundation of, you know, just kind of continuing to go through all of that? 
that's some of it. I think my, my mom was extremely resilient mm. and she passed that to my sisters and I, and we lost our parents young. My dad was 20, I was 21 when my dad died. And then I was 25 when my mom died and, and I'm 42 now. Um, so my sisters and I have kind of rolled through it, yeah. but we, we have described ourselves as fairly stoic when it comes to both like physical pain and also like dealing with crap, like we'll just deal with it and then we'll manage the consequences later, which can get you through stuff. But it also, (laughs) there's some pretty heavy, like, like whiplash and like repercussions that come from that. So I don't know if I would recommend that method to anybody, but that's my, my way of getting through a lot of it is to just sort of barrel through it and then just deal with the consequences later. So yeah, I I mean, I get you. And I think as a mom too, it's kind of like, you're, you're, that you're trying to be that for your, for your kids too, Mm -hmm. which is a a responsibility. I'm a mom as well. And so I get what that's like to feel like, man, I have all this stuff going on, but I I'm trying to be like that strong statue for your kids and for your family. It's kind of a lot of pressure, but like you said, if you just keep going, (laughs) you know, eventually you'll get somewhere. Yeah. And like, it's hard as a mom and I'm sure you can, you can empathize with this. Like when you don't have the answers and this is something that kind of happened to me as my kids got older, just in general, as kids get older, they get into middle school, they get into high school, the Mm -hmm. questions they have and the problems that they have, they're not easy solutions anymore. Like when they were little guys, a lot of the times when they hurt themselves or when there was a problem, the solutions were fairly obvious and you could feel like you knew what you were supposed to do for your kid. But as my kids have gotten older and their problems have gotten a lot more complex, it it's a reminder that like, as parents, we're not infallible. And when you can't help, when you're struggling to figure out how to help your kid and they're frustrated and and tired of whatever's going on with them and you're frustrated for them and you want to help them, and you feel at a loss, like it's, it's an awful feeling. Like it sucks and I don't like it, but I'm also kind of someone who needs to feel like they're in control a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so learning to let go of some of that is a natural aspect of getting older as a parent, but also it's for your own sanity. Like you can't control everything. So like maybe stop trying all the time. Oh, that's I tell myself this, whether I do it or not, that's, that's the other question, but right. That speaks to my soul so much. I, I would consider the first uh, few years of my daughter's life, me being like a control freak Mm -hmm. (laughs) and oh yeah, it it took some, you know, some stuff to really make me like step back and be like, wow, like even if I try to control things, I don't have control over anything. So what am I even doing? (laughs) You know? And so that speaks a lot to me and I appreciate that. Um, so kind of transitioning a little bit over, I'm interested into how and when you found the planner community, how did you stumble upon it or what was your story like? Well, I've always been a planner person, like as many of us in the planner community, right? Like I love writing things down. That's how I learn is to write the, I I'm in college. I would take color coded notes, like color code, or I would, then I would recopy them and make them better looking, but then I'd never look at them again. That was like the, what I needed, the like the went. actual writing things down was, was important to me. Um, so I said, I, so I've worked, I worked in grocery stores for about 20 years. Okay. Uh, I did cake decorating at, at Safeway. And then I went to Trader Joe's where I worked. I was a manager there. I did like regular stuff, but the majority of the 12 years I was at Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. I worked in the sign room because I had done art and 
things like that for so they were able to kind of pull me into there when they needed somebody and all the art in Trader Joe's is done by in-store artists so let all the signs all everything's hand lettering and art so I started doing that and what I I was at the point where my life was sort of kind of flying at me in all directions my kids were getting into elementary school I was joining the PTA because I'm an over volunteer. <laughs> I was starting to sing in the choir at my old church. And like, I had a lot going on and I wasn't really using a paper planner at the time. And I really needed one. And so I was going through the gamut of like, this was back in like 2012. Okay. I was going online and like looking at like printable planners and shit that they had, like yeah. there was very few that I could find, but I was looking at stuff because I we didn't have a lot of money. And I was like, I just want something to get my life together. And I found this blog. It's called I Heart Organizing. Okay. And she had an Erin Condren planner. And I was like, that's gorgeous. And I want that. But nice. I was nice. So the price tag. And I was like, maybe I don't want that. <laughs> and so I was like, so right. she had a printable planner that she also came out with. So I'm like, maybe I'll buy a printable planner and get it printed. And I did it like twice because I was trying to find one that worked for me. And probably I could have bought an Erin Condren planner for how much I spent <laughs> trying to get that printed and everything else. And so finally I bought the Erin Condren planner. My husband was like, just buy it. You're going to use it. It's what you want. Just get it. We'll make it work. Mm -hmm. So I bought it and I was, but that was back in 2013 or whatever. So it took 85 years for shit to get to you. (laughs) And so while I was waiting for it, I was like, okay, I got to figure out what to do with this thing. So I went online and I found the, we love EC Facebook group. Okay. And that's where I kind of entered into the planner community. Right. And then, and I didn't really post it. I just lurked. It felt very, I didn't feel very comfortable in there. I drop a lot of F-bombs and everything else. It didn't, it felt kind of a little too sanitary for the way I like to talk, but I found some interesting ideas. And one of the things that comes from working for Trader Joe's or doing any kind of job where you're being creative on demand, like Mm -hmm. you have to be creative for the man, whether it's making art or you're doing graphic design or or something, copywriting, anything you have to do where you have to use your creative muscles for somebody else. It's very, very draining. Mm. And it's a great environment. If you want to do art for a living, find yourself a job making art for somebody else because nothing will get you better at pushing through things like creative block and everything else than having to do it like basically on tap. Yeah. However, I didn't have anything left when I got home. Drying avocados with happy faces all day just took me <laughs> out. And so um, I really wanted to do something that was for me, but I couldn't justify spending the time or the money on it, which yeah. now... I know that that was kind of a foolish way to think about things. But at the time I was like, huh. And so I saw these people decorating their planners. I never was a scrapbooker. That was never my thing. I tried. I felt like I was beholden to my scrapbook. I didn't like it. I didn't like feeling like my scrapbook was telling, like frowning at me because I didn't do anything that day. (laughs) But I, I liked the idea of decorating a planner because I was like, huh, this is a way to be creative, but I'm still being productive. And so I feel like I can, I can justify spending the extra time doing it. And so that's when I started. Oh, I love that. And like, like I said, now I have a much, even though I have to be creative for myself for work every day, I still run into the same problem of like needing to do things that are just for me rather than for the internet or for whatever. But I have tried to really work past the idea that something has to be quote productive to be worthwhile. Yeah. 
so. Yeah, that's so I'm still working on that. Yeah. I'm working on that now. (laughs) And so is that something that you've realized over time or is like something that you've always like struggled with? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's something that's, yeah, no, I, I've always been, I, my mom, again, somebody who did not feel satisfied unless she was busy. And so I've always been somebody who's had a lot of trouble slowing down and like taking time. And so there was a long amount of time where, and there's been, there were times in my previous relationship where like, it, it really felt like if I wasn't doing something like to clean up the house or to be productive, to something that was like constructive in the, in that way that I was wasting time. And now I recognize that a taking a break and even spacing out going on Netflix or whatever that that can be productive if it's replenishing you right like but it's it's not easy to feel that way when it feels like our to-do list every time you check something off like four more things get added yeah and there's a lot of that hustle culture and everything that's around that it really ingrains that in our head and I just I'm trying really hard every day to sort of deconstruct that a little bit because um it's, it's not good for me. Like overall, it's not good for me to think that way. I'm so glad that you bring that up because I hate hustle culture. Hustle, I can't even say it. Hustle mm-hmm. culture. Um, it's something that I think a few years ago I would have been like, yeah, like this is something that I abide by, but that was until I burned out and completely yeah. like just, I, I mean, it took me like a year or so to like get over a burnout. That's how long burnout can last and I'm still on that same boat like you, like you, where if I'm not doing something, I'm like feeling like a failure or something like that. And I need to catch up. And it's like, who or what am I trying to catch up to all the time? Yeah. My own like, standard? Like who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like who? Why? Like yeah. what? What about it is I was I was thinking about the other day, I was actually thinking about the idea of retirement, mostly uh-huh. because I finally got that sorted out, like got myself back (laughs) into, well, because I've, I have retirement stuff from my 20 years of working at grocery stores, but I hadn't been adding to it because I just never thought about it. And then I was starting to, but then I was thinking about the idea of retirement and like this idea of like, you work, 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 work so that your last few years, you can relax, except like I you're, when you're old, like there's stuff that goes wrong. Like, right. why can't I relax now when I'm younger? I mean, I'm kidney failure, but like, why, why do we have to work so hard just to get these potential few years? And I have parents, like I said, they died in their forties. It's like mm-hmm. the idea, like, I'm not saying I'm not going to save up for retirement, but at the same time, what the, the thing I'm trying to work on is to remember that, like, I might not get there. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to like, if I was going to like, look back at what I have lived so far and I, there's nothing in there about taking time for myself or like going on vacations or whatever the case may be, like adding in some of that now. Yeah. But I'm interested to talk about your lettering journey. You kind of talked about that a little bit and I was laughing. I couldn't hold in my laughter when you said avocados with smiley faces. Cause I'm just, yeah, I, that's, you know, well, that's basically where it started for me. Like I always was experimenting yeah. with handwriting and lettering in high school, but when I was working at Trader Joe's as a sign artist, lettering is such a big part of that job and yeah. not only getting better at specific things, but 
expanding what you know how to do, like learning new styles. Right. That like when I learned how to bubble letter, I swear every sign in that store was a bubble letter sign for like three months because I was <laughs> so excited that I had figured it out. But like when people talk to me about like getting good at it, I'm like, yeah, it takes time. Like I got good at it in a short period of like, if you think about it in terms of like days or whatever, uh-huh. but that's because I was doing it eight hours a day. So okay, yeah, that's true. You know, like it takes time to get good at anything, like build up the muscle memory, but that's where it started. And then I started doing lettering in my planner for the fun of it. And I swear, I sound like an old hipster when I say it, but like back when I started doing that, it wasn't really something that was on the internet as much as it is now. Mm, I believe And you. so, yeah, totally. yeah. And I was just doing it because I knew how to do it. And I was like, okay, I might as well try, you know? Right. But like, yeah. it just, it, it started from there. So like, like many things in my life, I started learning how to do it because I was, I got myself into a job that I wasn't quite qualified for as much as I would like to be. And I just took advantage of the fact that I'm a quick learner (laughs) and picked it up. Yeah. Why not? Uh, But you also mentioned you started doing it in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Lettering just for fun. Just for fun. Yeah. Okay. Just just for fun. Lettering, like, you know, it was high schooler in the nineties. So like lettering on my trapper keeper Right. drawing pictures of Marvin the Martian, you know, like yeah. the Stussy S, that weird S in the, in the 90s. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was me. So. <laughs> so did you kind of just start noticing like people were like, I want to learn how to do that. Like, how do you do that? And then from people there. Asked. Yeah. Yeah. People asked in the, um, in the, what well, used to be Aaron Connor in the PGW uh-huh. Facebook group, people were asking me how I did it. And I'm like, oh, it's not that hard. We just got to like learn it. And they asked me to make videos and I was like, oh shit. And like, so I did, <laughs> Yeah, but I wasn't like, like I had my kids little tiny, like point and shoot camera uh-huh. that they had gotten for Christmas like, a couple of years ago. And I propped on like a stack of books. It's so bad, yeah. but like, <laughs> that's where it started was yeah. just making videos for people. Yeah. Like I, and I wasn't even, I didn't even monetize my channel. Yeah. Like I be, I could have been in the partner at the time. I could have been in the partner, but I just didn't bother for like at least a year. And when I think about how much I probably like missed out on, I'm like, ah, Cindy, you fool. But like, yeah. generally speaking, I was just doing it for the fun of it. That's cool though. How something fun just becomes something that other people are interested in. I love that. Uh, my yeah. husband bought me a lettering, some lettering thing a, a few years ago. I could not for the, I could not do it. So, I mean, I'm sure if I just kept practicing, but I couldn't mm-hmm. get used to like which pen or marker or went with what stroke. I was, I had like 10 of them and I was like, I don't understand all these different tips, <laughs> you know? Well, so I'll let you to... in on a secret. Yeah. I'll let you in on a little secret, my personal secret. I actually, if I had to pick a lettering yeah. style to go die in a fire, uh-huh. it would probably be brush lettering. And it's not because I don't like brush lettering. I can do brush lettering. Uh I think it's pretty. I'm just, it's, it got taken over by like the live, laugh, love wooden sign crowd. And it's everywhere. And I just, I, I, I can't with it. Like, it's just not my personal thing. I can. And I, I do, I just, it's not, I don't, I much prefer more cartoony lettering. Like I love bubble lettering, things like that, which you don't, you can just use with a regular pen and that takes, it's a little easier to learn. Right. It's certain ways like brush lettering can also be easy to, it just depends. It's like a, you have to figure out, I guess the way I I have, I mentioned it to a lot of people is when you're trying to figure out how to learn any sort of hand lettering Uh is to think about it more like drawing than Mm -hmm. like 
writing. Writing. Because okay. writing, you're used to writing. You know how to write. So it can feel really off-putting to try and figure out how to do a hand lettering, any sort of hand lettering when yeah. you're used to writing and feeling confident with that. But if you think about it as drawing and you're approaching each letter as something that you're drawing rather than something that you're trying to write out, yeah, it gives you a little bit more space, I think, to, to suck at it and not feel terrible right. about yourself. So. That makes sense. Thanks for that tip. Yeah, yeah. I, may, I may give it a go again. We shall see. I don't like not being good at things at first. So. <laughs> My son is the same way. Like he uh, would just stop doing things if he wasn't good at them right off the bat. And I'm like, you know, you are going to run into something one day that right. you're going to really want to get good at. And he's finally starting to get there. <laughs> okay. Same. Same. But speaking of like teaching, um, you have a lot of resources where people can learn from you. I mean, you have podcasts, uh, you have a book, a Patreon, workshops, Instagram, blog, YouTube, like so many ways. Like what is your, has been your most favorite way to connect with people in your community? Uh, probably YouTube, YouTube okay. and Patreon. Patreon being like an extension of YouTube kind of, it's yeah. the same, same vibe, just more private and like, right. uh, smaller, a smaller group. Right. But, um, I, I love YouTube. Like I am on Instagram, I'm other places, but I, I don't, even the podcast, like I love doing those things, but YouTube is my like, and I, it's, it's always been something I've really liked, but I think in the last couple of years, I've really started doing regular live streams on Sundays, as opposed okay. to every once in a while doing just my plan with me's every week live. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the conversations and the comments like during the live stream it's mm -hmm. it's so fun and they, they can go in all sorts of different directions but yeah. that seems to be my favorite way to to interact with people mm -hmm. I have been avoiding Facebook like the plague yeah it just wasn't making me feel good I had a big Facebook group that was very okay. active and I really love it it's, it was almost it was 10,000 people and I was yeah. I was a big fan of it and then with the 2020 election, things got real hairy in there. And I had not really needed to have a lot of moderation in there because people were very respectful, yeah. but much like everywhere else, that particular election season kind of just sent mm -hmm. things in a direction. And I did not have the energy to devote to really clamping down on moderating or getting yeah. people to moderate. So I just, I shut it down rather than deal with it. And I was going to reopen it this year or this past year. Mm -hmm. And I thought that before we found out about the Denver move, we found out about that in okay. January, but um, I was thinking about it and I was talking to my husband about it. And I was like, dude, like, I don't want to, like, I don't feel when I think about reopening the Facebook group, there's nothing about that. That feels good to me. Everything about it feels at best like a chore. Right. And at worst, it's like filling me with dread. Because mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't want to, I don't want to have a space connected to me that's full of asshattery. Right. And, and I don't have it in me. Like I have a discord that's thriving, but I also need to spend some time on that to kind of get that. That's on my list of things to do next month, actually, is to get right. that, like get some things taken care of with that, but it doesn't feel as shitty right? as Facebook felt. And so like, I'm doing like the club moxie thing and that's in Facebook. And so I will peek in there for the things that right. like I need to do. But generally speaking, if 
YouTube is my favorite place to spend time on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook is like the place I want nothing to do with at the mm-hmm. moment. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. It's like Facebook is like where everyone goes to just say everything and anything they ever want to say. It's just like, eh, okay. Yeah. And <laughs> it just, the- it's not easy to find what you want. Like yeah. you can't, you can't see the things that you want to be seen. It just, it's, it just, it doesn't, it's not a good time. It feels like toxic and, and it's a bummer because there are people I know that's their main method of communicating. And like, I still use Facebook messenger because that's my sister's, our group chat is in Facebook messenger, but that's pretty much all I use it for. If somebody messages me on Facebook messenger, good luck with me seeing it anytime (laughs) in the, but I just, I'm, I love being on social media and interacting with people, yeah. but I also am so exhausted by social media and interacting with people. So I know it's social like, media it's like a constant give and take. Give and take. Know? Yeah. Discord is kind of like Facebook though, but better. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Discord is, there's more tools for moderation. Yeah. There's more tools for moderation and it's a lot easier to, because it's less, I think because it's a little bit more focused in what it is yeah. as opposed to Facebook, which is supposed to be like this big hub of everything. Like Discord's a little more insular. Like it, it, the, it's very, it reminds me of being on like IRC back in the day. Okay. Right. Or like, or like yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's good. It gives you like old school chat room vibes yeah. and not in like a gross creepy yeah. old men kind of way, but in like a, in like the freedom to like chat about things, but like the people being respectful about things as well. And so yeah. I just, I prefer that, but I also yeah. don't spend a lot of time because I get sucked into it. So <laughs> the biggest reason I don't keep discord open on my computer is not because I don't like going on discord. It's because I do like going on discord. Right. <laughs> and so it becomes very much a distraction for me. Yeah. And not <laughs> one that I can really pay attention to and get other things done. I can have like podcasts or something on in the background and like kind of listen with half an ear and do other things. But with Discord, I get sucked in. I'm like, no, I must see. <laughs> no, but that's cool that you've, you know, you've introduced so many ways that people can like be inspired by you and like have a community, your own community. I think that's awesome. Um, and the, the other question that I wanted to ask is about conversations, right? So Mm-hmm. We're transitioning over into that. Um, I love your podcast. It it talks about so many different things, like hard things. It talks about lighthearted things. And I love everything in between. Um, and so I had a couple topics in mind that I wanted to chat with you about today. I couldn't think of anyone better <laughs> to chat about these things with. Um, <laughs> so first thing is toxic positivity. I have some thoughts. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, what are my thoughts on that? <laughs> So (laughs) where to begin? (laughs) I was going to say like, okay, this might not be something people will believe about me. Okay. Based on everything I say on the internet. I'm an optimist. Okay. I actually am an optimist, but I would consider myself to be a realistic optimist. I love that. Yes. And so I, my dad was very naive And, but he was a very, very, very optimistic person. And I got some of that from him, but I think I got some of my mom's realism as well. Mm -hmm. So it kind of tempers it a little bit. Like I tend to believe the best in people, Mm -hmm. but I also don't like want you, what what are my favorite movies is, um, 
the best little horror house in Texas with Dolly Parton and Burt right. Reynolds in it. It's a musical. And one of my favorite quotes from that movie is when he says, don't piss on my boots and tell me it's a rainstorm. Okay. And that's how I feel about po- toxic positivity. I feel like it. Undermining. I think that when you, when you spend so much time mm-hmm. trying to always like put a smile on and mm-hmm. put on a happy face and, you know, look at things, keep my mindset on the bright side and blah, blah, blah. And when you spend so much time focusing on that, there isn't a lot of room to feel the harder things. Mm-hmm. And from personal experience, if you, if you push aside the harder things for long enough, they're going to bite you in the ass yes. and it's not healthy to constantly be trying to always like turn your frown upside down and keep everything like happy and whatever. Like I'm fine with wanting to look on the bright side and be a optimistic person because I am that person. But at the same time, I think that there is a level of, it sucks to be somebody going through shit and go online and seeing all of this shallow positivity. That's really like toxic positivity to me. Another name for that would be like shallow or surface level positivity, like slapping a smiley face on something and calling it good. And when you, it leaves out people who have struggles that they're dealing with on a regular basis. Like if you struggle with depression or if you have chronic illness, or if you are in chronic pain, or if you're going through a divorce, or if you're having a rough time or whatever the case may be, having a bunch of people on the internet yelling at you to, you know, you're, there are some quote positivity people out there who will say shit like, you know, well, just pull yourself up. Like you can get yourself out as long as you have the right mindset, you can get yourself. No, it doesn't work that way for everybody. And Mm -hmm. it's disingenuous to act like it does. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where the toxic positivity thing, like I'm not anti-positivity, what I am anti is treating positivity like a blanket band-aid for everything going on in life and ignoring the fucking pus that's coming out underneath when instead you could treat us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's kind of where I feel it's, I guess my, my beef with toxic positivity, my beef with positivity culture in general is that it's, it's too general. It's too easy. And life is not easy like that. And it, it, it removes a lot of the nuance and without the nuance, what good are we? Like, we're going to be a bunch of fucking automatons. Like, yeah, no. Oh my God. Preach. Seriously. I, I I agree so much. The Rachel Hollis's of the world, Tony Robbins. Not even going to, oh my God. I I'm so disappointed that people have such a huge platform like Rachel Hollis who are constantly telling people all you have to do is think positively and somehow all of your troubles will go away and the fact that I even like a couple years ago even had her first book and fell into that trap makes me realize like anybody can until you actually go through something really really difficult and then you're like I don't care how many times you tell me to think positive I'm still depressed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Like I actually used to be a fan of Rachel Hollis years yeah, ago. Hey. This is before her first book, before okay. her first book, back when she was still doing her blog yeah. and she had her YouTube channel, but it was before she blew up. Okay. I don't remember how I came across her, but I would watch her YouTube videos and I wasn't like a huge fan, but I, I she's, you got to give her, she is an excellent public speaker. Oh yeah. She is an excellent public speaker. She has a very engaging public speaking voice. 
And so on our YouTube videos, I just, I, they were ones I would watch. And then if I can find it, I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes for people who want their blood pressure raised. She had this video that came out where she was bitching about some meme that she saw, like some quote she saw on Pinterest about some, it was something along the lines of like, just some days, like just getting out of bed is a victory. And she was, she went on this tirade about how if just getting out of bed is a victory for you, like you're doing it wrong. And you know, like that's, that's lazy and blah, 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 entitlement, this entire tirade. And I'm looking, like sitting there, like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Wow. Like, this is like, tell me you've never been in like this major physical or mental pain before. Like, like my, my kid right now, yeah. Some days just getting out of bed for them is yeah. a massive victory. Yeah. Like, absolutely. You know, like, how dare you? Like, that's, I was yeah. so mad. And yeah. since then, I swear to God, I have been on like the Rachel Hollis hater train. I have drank the haterade and I, like, for years, and they could, the book, the first book was A Girl Wash Your Face, blew up big in the planner community and people were all talking about it. Yeah. I'm like, are you? goddamn kidding me like she fat shames in that book like she talks about you can't trust people if they can't stay on a diet when diet culture doesn't diets don't work for like 99 percent of people Mm -hmm. oh my god sorry that's fine no i I, I, (laughs) it's just it's it's just it's disgusting it's it's that exactly that though it's it's so general and it's so like not seeing things outside of your own personal experience and bubble and to be fair like it's hard to really understand someone else's experience if you haven't lived it. But if you're empathetic, you can listen to it and you can take from it as much as you can. And yeah. you can try to apply that and try to have feel. And it, I swear, it feels like some people don't, they don't realize that other people's lives might look very different from theirs. And that might yeah. be harder than theirs. They may not have the same resources. It's also my, one of my personal pet peeve, biggest quotes I've ever heard is the, you have the same hour, 24 hours a day as like say Beyonce or Oprah oh, or something yeah, like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I might have the same 24 hours they do. I don't have the same resources that yeah. they do. And I'm no, sick. I don't have a nanny. So like, I don't have a cook. Yeah. I don't have, yeah. My 24 hours look vastly different. I need more sleep than they do because I'm, right. I'm fucking sick. And like, yeah. I, it just, it's, I don't like, I, I, I mean, much like everybody else, I do generalize. Everybody generalizes, but I, really dislike when big generalizations become like driving forces in our culture. And Mm -hmm. that I think is ultimately what toxic positivity does to me as well as other things too. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't leave a lot of room for how different we all are. And we want people to be different, you know, difference is difference is good, but like, don't it, when somebody is struggling and they see someone like Rachel Hollis, giving them the quote unquote solutions in their pithy plagiarized book, like, they read this and they're like, okay, this will help me because it helped her. And then when it doesn't, it can be really demoralizing. Like, what did I do wrong? Well, maybe it's not what you did wrong. Maybe it's that this advice is not going to apply to your situation and you're desperate. And it it feels predatory to me. A lot of like people who are super into like positivity stuff, it feels very predatory to me. No, I agree completely. And I don't think we're even saying like, like, don't be positive, like you said, but like, take into consideration that there's some people that literally with every ounce of their being cannot be positive 
that day, or maybe they're going through a tough time and we have to be empathetic that it doesn't work for everybody or even for most people. I don't think I can even will myself to be positive if I'm not feeling positive, you know? Well, that's the idea. It's like, what, fake it till you make it. Like, no, I don't fucking want to. Like I would, I would prefer, like if I could trade out like people, like, like as somebody who can be very positive, I would rather my positivity come from a place of like honesty. Yeah. You know, like honest positivity and empathy is really like, like if I could just take all the toxic positivity and replace it with a big bucket full of empathy like that to me, because then I feel like it would be, there would be so much more room for other people's stories and like other people's experiences. Whereas toxic positivity, I think has a method of kind of pushing all of that to the side to make room for a big smiley face and some yeah. fucking bullshit quote written in brush lettering. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love all of that. You summed that up so well, so well. I just, I think that we need to, if we can calm down the toxic positivity so that we can leave, like you said, leave room for other people to be able to open up and share their stories more because they don't feel like it's out of the ordinary to do so. Like, oh, everyone else is happy and I'm the only one that's sad. I'm definitely not going to dampen their positivity, but it's not about that. It's about being able to recognize that there's going to be other people that are going through what you're going through too. And they don't, they're also not subscribing to this toxic positivity. They need somebody like you to be like, Hey, I'm going through something hard. You know, like me, I'm very open about like my anxiety disorder and how I've gone through depression. And it was only until I've gone through it that I was able to see kind of like that lens. But even still, I knew people went through things that I didn't go through. I don't understand the tunnel vision sometimes and like where that's, yeah. from, you know, when my, my sister's best friend, um, when she had her first baby, she mm-hmm. was having a really hard time. And I've always been very upfront about the fact that motherhood did not come naturally to me. And I, I had a really hard time. When my kids were little guys. I mean, my ex and I split up when the kids mm-hmm. were five and three. So it was a rough, rough ride when they were yeah. little guys, but also parenting babies and toddlers, especially is, both amazing and also can really suck. But especially several years ago, if you tried to have that conversation with other moms, it wouldn't go well. Right. Like like you were shaking your head. It's like, no, no, dude. Like I'm not wading into those waters. And so my sister's friend would come to me to talk about it. She's like, is it normal that like, I really don't like this. And I'm like, yeah, Mm. like it is. (laughs) People just don't talk about it. Because if you talk about it, you get shamed. Well, if you're not thrilled with motherhood, it must mean you don't love your kids. No, that's not what it fucking means. It means motherhood is hard and it's like, you know, so, but it's one of those things, right? Like you people, there's more people that probably feel that way than don't Yeah. because there's so much stigma around talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it, and so everybody feels alone. And that is really? the thing that I just, I hate. I hate the idea of people suffering in silence yeah. when if they said something about it, the chances are there might be someone else who could say, oh, me too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that's, and gives them some commiseration, which can help pull you out of it. Yes. It's that me too. And, and I've been following a lot of um, like satire, but like these moms, like fruits of motherhood is one of them where she's constantly talking about like how hard it is to be a mom and like how, I don't know, just different funny little things on her reels and her, her quotes and stuff, which is so real. Like I love my kid, but also I don't like them all the time. Like things like that, that I would never have admitted even a year ago that motherhood was hard or that it was difficult until 
people like her came out and said, like, I don't care if I get shamed. I don't care if, you know, moms don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to share my truth. And I think it's just like a huge sigh of relief and breath of fresh air when that happens. And so I'm grateful to people like that, you know, and I think that like, we should kind of follow in those footsteps if we can, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, it just, it makes things like, it makes things easier when you know that you're not by yourself in something and you have someone that you can, that you can talk to about it and not and be honest and be vulnerable about it. And yeah. when you can get things off your chest, yeah. there is a level of relief there. And mm-hmm. another kind of like segue we're like it's the same idea but a different topic yeah. is like you know a lot of people like my kids in the lgbtq community and a lot of people talk about well what's the point of all like the different letters like why do we need so mm-hmm. many different can't we just all be people or whatever well i was at a a big convention for i'm, I'm a uu and it was big the big like yearly uu thing and i was at this convention and i took a seminar on the owl program which is a it stands for our whole lives. It's a comprehensive, like positive sex and sexuality education program that runs from kindergarten all the way through senior adults. And my kids have both taken a couple of different levels of it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I went to this because I was at the time, my kids hadn't done it yet. And I really wanted to learn more about it. And so I went to this owl thing and had a panel there of different like uh, ministers and people like that, who, um, who, work in owl and one of the people on the panel was somebody who is transgender and also asexual and what they were saying was that they thought there was something wrong with them because they weren't having they didn't want to have physical sexual relationships with people they 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 just wasn't they were interested in having romantic relationships with people but the touching was just not something it didn't feel right to them and they thought there was something wrong with them and then they found out about being asexual and how that that's a thing other people are like that too it's just one of the many different stops on the whole spectrum of human sexuality Mm -hmm. and when they found out there were other people that it wasn't just them there wasn't something wrong with them this is just who they are this the relief and the feeling of like belonging and knowing that that's why that's why there are so many letters because people need to understand that they're not on some island by themselves and that they're weird or that there's something wrong with them. That's just who they are. And there are other people who they can identify with. And it's the same idea, right? Like we're all different. It's, it's ludicrous to think that we as humans can fall into very specific limited categories when they're the spectrum of what is possible with humans is so vast. And so it, it stands to reason that like somebody who has those sorts of, or that lack of feeling about wanting to be physical with someone or a mom who is really like loves her babies, but it really is just over being a parent some days, like mm-hmm. that feeling of there being something wrong with you. And there, there can be times, you know, when it's like postpartum depression course, or something yeah. where maybe you need to seek help, but this, but how do you know the difference if you can't even talk about it because people yeah. will shame you for it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, God, uh, you make such a great point to the point that I didn't even know I had postpartum depression when I had it because at the 
um, the mom birthing classes or whatever I went to and I took before because I thought I was going to get prepared, never once mentioned postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And I thought I'm learning how to like swaddle a baby, like looking back on it, I'm learning how to swallow, 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 (laughs) swaddle a baby, (laughs) (laughs) but they're not actually telling me anything about you could possibly experience postpartum depression. And I thought, I was like so disappointed in society because I was like, if you would at least told me that I would have known that's what I was going through. I wouldn't have like the signs to look for signs to look for. I wouldn't have had to have my husband tell me that this is what I was experiencing and that I would get through it in a few months or whatever, which in fact, I didn't get through postpartum anxiety until like three years, but still like, I wish, you know, we're getting there, you know, but we're like not there. And I was like, so disappointed that that I didn't know that this was possible. I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. What's going on here? You know? So. Yeah. And then if you add on to that, like the, the getting, again, getting better, but not at all better, like stigma around mental health treatment and medication and, you know, interventions for people who are dealing with a mental health crisis, like yeah, it's just it's it's so easy for people to suffer for way longer than they should. Like when they there is things that could help, yeah. but they don't have access or they don't know that they're possible. Ugh, it's just, a it, whole. Mm. <laughs> I'm like getting frustrated, like, getting emotional here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I'm really happy to have had that conversation, even if it's just like one person listening. That is like you know, maybe they're holding something back or they're just feeling like they're alone and your people are there. There's a group of people there maybe that relate to you. Um, and so, yeah, don't, you don't have to hide it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we're humans, we're social animals. Like it's in our nature to connect with each other. And, And it just, it, when, when you feel like you can't connect on like a, on like an honest level, you have to put up a front or whatever, it, I think it does a disservice, not only to the person trying to connect, mm-hmm. but to the people they could potentially connect with. Now I'm not yeah. saying that that's a disservice, like, oh, well, you sh- it's your fault for not connecting. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that in some ways, being able to share our experiences and connect with each other is service to like the greater community of people, because mm-hmm. it just it deepens all of our experiences with each other and reminds us that we're not individuals bopping around like we're all connected to each other in right. some way or another. And so, and this goes into my, like being a UU with like the interconnectedness and everything else, but like, it's a hippie thing, but it's a true thing in my yeah. mind is that like, we, it's a lot harder to live a fulfilled life without connections. It can be done, but like it, it takes a lot more effort and connecting with people is one way to help make our lives better. I agree. You know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And like, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about was like that facade of social media, which I, I try to be mindful of what I'm putting out there. And it's really hard not to do a highlight reel. Cause you're just like, you know, you don't want to show people when your day sucks. Like <laughs> you, yeah, you don't you feel don't. like picking up the phone and taking a picture of yourself when you've right. got like a giant zit on your lip. Like you don't want to do that. Like, yeah, that, it's yeah. by nature. It's going to, you're going to share the things you want to share. Right. Yeah. I think the, for me, in all of my thinking, cause it's been, that's why I started the podcast. Like it's been a hobby of mine to like really try to understand like the difference between 
what's online and what's Mm -hmm. in real life for me is that what I want to make sure is everything I show Mm -hmm. is real. Mm -hmm. It's me. This is all me. It may not be everything that I did that day. It may not be my whole life, but what you're getting is snippets of my real life. Right. And that I'm not scared to talk about or show the hard things. They may not be the things I show on the regular because I don't want to, or maybe I'm just not in the mood to, but I try to talk about them, even if I don't show them so that there is context, but it's also a balancing act because a lot of the hard things in my life are directly related to other people in my life who are not necessarily online to show those things. Right. And And it involves a lot of conversations with my family about what they're comfortable with me talking about. Like the stuff Mm -hmm. I've said about my kids, especially my oldest here, just on this podcast, we've already had conversations. Are you okay with me talking about these things? Because I think it's important to share them, but within, through the lens of me being your mom and like my experiences being your mom, I can't speak to my kids' experiences being non-binary or having major depressive disorder because I don't have either. I'm not, those are neither are things that can apply to me, but I can talk about my parenting experience, but trying to protect their privacy while also sharing my experience is a balancing act. Thankfully, my oldest actually wants me to talk about some of these things because they understand that other people, the same thing we just talked about Mm -hmm. helping other people not feel so alone Mm -hmm. if I can, you know, and so that's been a part of it, but there, there is, there is a balance there, but I think it's just remembering everything you see on the internet, take it with a grain of salt because you have no idea what the context is. And that person might be showing you everything as honestly as possible. And you still don't know everything, but it's not just social media. And I think this is the thing that people need to remember when you're interacting with people in your life, even if it's your kid, even if it's your partner, Mm -hmm. you still don't know everything because nobody can inside somebody else's head. Right. So ultimately the only person you have a true and honest experience of all the time is yourself. Yeah. If you can be honest with yourself. Yeah. And like, so if you think about your, like for the people who are trying to be as honest as possible on social media, think about it as like one step removed from the people, you know, in your life Mm. that you have an honest relationship with, right? Like you still don't know everything, but you can at least hope and give them the benefit of the doubt that what they're showing you is not manufactured. And that can be, and those are the people I look for on social media are the ones where I can at least give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not manufactured because the vast majority, especially of people who do it for their job, it feels very much manufactured. And that might be for them to protect their own privacy. What I don't care for are the people who say that they're being super authentic, that I hate that word, by the way, but like being like it's one of those words that's lost all of its meaning. Right. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that too, which is funny. Yeah, no. Authentic is one of those words. There's other words like that where it's like, oh, does it even mean anything anymore at this point? No. I don't know. But like, yeah. you know, what I just, what I just like are people that, that really want to play up the whole parasocial relationship with their followers. And they want to be like, this is a real me, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When it's not like mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. that like character kind of situation mm-hmm. is if you're going to play a character, make it obvious, like someone like Miranda Singh, like she knows she's playing a character, right? Yeah. 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 So that's kind of my thought process. Like I don't expect full authenticity from anybody on the internet because I can't expect it from anybody in real life either. Like, but what I want is there to be at least a level of honesty that I can, I can connect to. 
Yeah, like a level of humanness, I think. Yes. What it, what it is. Like sloppiness. Like be a little sloppy. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. You know, be a little sloppy. I'm fine with yeah. that. Like, I love that. So um, it's not like racist sloppy. I'm, 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 I'm no. not good with that. But like, you know, but like you can, you can show me like your, like if people watch me, I sometimes I put pictures up of my, what I'm making for dinner on my Instagram uh-huh. stories. And this is like one of those levels of sloppiness that's not really in your face, but it's there. I swear my, I keep my kitchen clean. My kitchen's not nasty. My stovetop is another story. (laughs) And I used to have like a glass top stove in my old house. Okay, Easy to keep clean. But this is one less like a gas stove that you got to take all the things off and like give it a whole good scrub. And I'm like, I I don't fucking want to. No, it's the the worst thing. So if you look, yeah, you look closely at those pictures. It's going to have like crumbs and shit. It's not, it's not appetizing looking at all if you look around at the stove but you can see it if you look I try to kind of crop it in a way where you yeah. don't catch all of it but like it's there and I'm fine with that like and I, feel like I don't that's want normal. you to think yeah yeah I don't want you to think that like my kitchen is spotless because it's yeah. fucking not like, yeah it's it's so not like every time you cook, I had a root you're just wiping cook wipe wipe <laughs> you know like yeah, no, no like no, no I no so like and that's kind of like you know it's the reminder that like yeah I I, uh, my, my house can be kind of gross sometimes. I'm, I'm cool yeah. with that. Like we have the funniest thing is like, whenever we run like the Roomba upstairs or like run the vacuum upstairs and it's uh-huh. time to like de deferball it, like, you know, go and like yeah. deal with all, cause we're all long haired hippies in this house. And like <laughs> our running gag is like, let's see if we can figure out whose hair is the winner <laughs> this time, because like we all have different color hair. Yeah. usually it's cat's hair because cat has like bright red hair so it's the most obvious but like yeah we're sitting there looking at this fur ball of hair that comes off because we don't vacuum often enough we have a Roomba we still don't vacuum often enough but like that's gross I'm not going to necessarily go online all the time and be like check hey. out my nasty yeah. stores but at the same time <laughs> it's like you know that's what they're like and so yeah no I get that know. and I think like people throw around like being authentic online. And I just don't know really what that, what that means. And I feel like even listeners probably don't even know what that means. Like, because you're so right. Like there's people in my life that I'm myself or whatever with, but like, I still don't share all my deep secrets with, or like what I'm struggling with necessarily. So it's kind of, like you said, that fine line of like, um, one removed from the people who you would talk to who are closest to you. And I love that at like definition of trying to at least be yourself like on social media and not be so manufactured. That's a good, a good way to put it. Yeah. And if you're going to be manufactured and there's nothing, I will not lie. Like there are Instagram accounts that are super hella manufactured and I love looking at them because it's, they're beautiful <laughs> and like, it's, it's delightful, but they don't pretend to be something that they're not. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a, if it's a, if it's an account, like who's a good one I'm thinking of here. Um, a bowl full of lemons, I think is one of the ones that comes okay. right to my mind is yeah. somebody whose like entire brand is built around like beautifully organized, whatever. Right. I don't go to her to understand who she is as a person because right. I couldn't gather that. And I don't really give that much of a shit because like, <laughs> I haven't connected with her as a person on the internet yeah. to want to know all of her life. And like, I recognize that I know there's all this like inspiration porn out on the internet about beautifully organized refrigerators, but I'm just going to say no one's fucking functional refrigerator looks like that longer 
than it takes to set it up in the first place. I agree. I'm sorry. Oh God. Like there may be a few like unicorn magical people out there, but you're a refrigerator in use, especially if you are not the only one who uses it. <laughs> if you have learned to get your other family members to respect the organization, then tell me your secrets because like to this, we've lived in this house since July and I have pull out cabinets in our pantry and I specifically put stuff in it in a way, because the only way it was going to work was if you knew that you'd have to pull it out to get it. And to yeah. this fucking day, all three <laughs> of my inept ass family members are like, where's the rice? I'm like, pull out the cabinet and it's right there where it was the last four times you asked me. Right. And right. Oh, I find it very hard to believe that any of these beautifully organized spaces I see on accounts like a bowl full of lemons stay that way all no, of the I time, agree. unless that's all they do is maintain that shit every second, but that's fine. Like, I don't expect them to like, it's, it's not that I treat me rephrase that account to me. I treat it like looking at a magazine, like looking at yeah. an issue of real simple. Right. I don't expect real simple to be telling the truth of somebody's household on a normal basis. It's when they act like it is. That's when I stress right. out. Yeah, that's true. Because then it, I, I'm not going to lie. I've gone and bought like the little containers so that I can organize my fridge and make it look semi nice. But it's that idea that you can achieve that in real life that they're kind of giving off. And trust me, every time I do that, my husband like messes it up in one day. <laughs> well, I have some of those too and they're handy, but like, yeah. I just don't expect them to like, like I, I have some of those skinny, like long ones that, and the yeah. reason I have those is because you can fit little Trader Joe's six pack yogurts. You can break them yeah. up and fit them in there perfectly. And then they don't fly all over your fridge, but it doesn't stay super nice, no. but at least I know what they're corralled. I'm a big corraller. I will corral <laughs> things into containers, yeah. but they don't look aesthetic. Most of the time they look used and I'm fine with right. that. Like, no, yeah, I, I need the function. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's like, oh, if she can do it, then why can't I do it? Right. And it's like that feeling that doesn't make it feel so good after a while. So like you said, take that with a grain of salt. They're doing it for their job. They're doing it for their whatever. Um, their pictures. Not real life. Know? And that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I can totally admire them and be like, ooh, and then maybe get some ideas from them. Right. Like. Well, here's a good example. One of the most beautiful things I've seen in people's refrigerators and these like refrigerator porns that I've seen yeah. come across like Instagram or whatever is keeping your fresh herbs in a mason jar full of water to keep them, mm -hmm. to keep them. It's supposed to be the thing that keeps them like makes them last longer. Yeah. I don't know what is wrong <laughs> with my water or my refrigerator or maybe the herbs I buy, but that never works for me they go junky just at the same rate as if i just put them in the fucking vegetable drawer yeah. i've actually my best way to make an herb last a little longer is to wrap it in a paper towel and mm. stick it in a plastic bag mm -hmm. and that's it it still doesn't last that long but yeah. like it lasts a little longer but like the mason jar thing, it just was a pain in the ass. And so right. even though all of the magazine articles and all the people on the internet show it that way, like for some reason it doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the thing that's less cute, but actually works. For yeah. Me, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I, those, the fruit stuff, mine die quickly whenever I do like the washing and the, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I'll just, just, there. just do what works, do right. what works, you know, and I don't know, man. I just, but again, it doesn't stop me from liking looking at it, but it's just a reminder that like, I can enjoy looking at something. 
this can go for beautiful planner fixtures too. Like yeah. somebody's beautiful planner might work for them, but if it doesn't work for you, when you try it, don't feel bad. It just doesn't work for you. You could still love to look at their pictures, mm-hmm. but keeping that reminder that just because you love looking at something doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And that's okay. That's so good. And that's yes. It's the, the kind of my cardinal rule of Instagram. It's not something I'm great at, but it's something I keep reminding myself of, of like, it can, okay. I can enjoy admiring or consuming content of something mm-hmm. and still it might not work for me. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. As long oh, as God. like, I'm not going to put myself into a cycle of <laughs> trying all the things from the internet and getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and frustrated. Like, fuck that. I'll look at the pretty <laughs> pictures and do what I know that's not yeah. aesthetic, but works for me. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Listen, I have kept you longer than I probably should, but I do have one last because <laughs> I'm enjoying Well, this. the power went out. So there you go. So. Okay. <laughs> I do have one last thing I want to get your opinion on. And that is this idea of paying creators for their work, because this has been a huge conversation in the planner community within the last, I guess, year, six months. I don't even know mm-hmm. forever, I guess, but mostly recently. And I want to get your take on it. All right. I have, I have so many takes, but okay. <laughs> also remember I come from the art world where yeah, yeah. art for exposure has been a, or can you just make me, do me a tattoo, make me a something, whatever. I'm your friend, blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's a long time pain point in the art yeah. community. Um, my thought process is that a brands have vast resources and they have taken advantage of the fact that their marketing budgets can get smaller if they're going to do influencer marketing because influencer marketing is is chump change compared to say buying commercials on tv or radio mm-hmm. right even though social media and all of that is so much bigger than tv and radio now it's still the traditional forms of marketing are a lot more expensive than influencer marketing. So when a company cries poor to a somebody making content online, to me, it's like the world's smallest violin playing just for the, the brand, right? <laughs> I mean, if it's like a single person with their own Etsy shop that right. doesn't have a vast, that's one thing. I'm, I'm referring to bigger, bigger companies, right? And I include a lot of planner companies in that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't, my biggest issue, like there's all sorts of takes on paying yeah. creators for their work. What I get concerned about is should a creator get paid for their work, get compensated for their work, whether it's in product or money or both. Okay. What I just want to make sure is that they disclose that because the reason that influencer marketing works as it does is because they've built up trust with their audience and their audience trusts them. So if they trust you, don't betray that trust. Don't, don't, um, don't like blow it. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that money worth the overall loss of your audience? And I think that paying creators to do work for the companies is a good thing. Okay. As long as it's disclosed. Gotcha. Because it's nice to know when you're seeing 
the the easiest kind of analog in the planner community to think about with this is the happy planner squad Mm -hmm. because they are basically walking commercials for the happy planner the whole year that they're on the squad that's the kind of the way that the program is built right which i'm fine with i don't like because i know that when i watch them yeah as long as they make it clear that they are on the happy planner squad. I think with all of the restrictions and everything that they set for that squad, it's a good thing that the, the, the pressure got put on them to start paying those creators because that's a lot to expect out of somebody to not get paid. Mm-hmm. I think the culture around exposure and the design team and whatever in most of these paper crafting industries, it's like you're supposed to like this idea. It's become such like a high school kind of feeling of like, mm-hmm. oh, you've been like the chosen one. Like the joy of getting on the, te- the team should be enough. You don't need to get paid. You're getting free product and they picked you, but you're like putting an ball. effort for them and they, they don't care. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they don't care about you as a person. Like there might be individual, like your person who works with you, maybe they care about you as a person, but the company overall, they care about their bottom line because right. we're in a capitalist society. That's the fucking point. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I think the push for creators to get compensated for the work that they do is, is a good one. Right. The areas I start to get a little iffy about and this is just an entire thing i've had this in the back of my mind i've been wanting to do a podcast episode on this and i haven't quite formulated it yeah is this idea of like the best way to describe be like the snake oil salesman like if you're gonna make try to make money off of your audience i what I love to see is that being done in a way that is organic and supports okay. like the things, the value that you provide for them. What I don't like is the feeling that being taken advantage of. And I don't like the feeling of being like sold a bill of goods. And I don't like the feeling of enjoying watching someone to then suddenly have them, they start to do things for themselves and they're starting to make money. And suddenly the focus of the work, the content that they're putting out shifts. Yeah to Mm -hmm. just being an advertisement for the things that they're doing now. And some of that may be because I personally struggle to advertise the things I'm doing. (laughs) Like I'm not good at it. It's not something I'm strong at. I feel weird talking about, like I very rarely talk about my Patreon on YouTube. I probably could talk about it more, but I don't like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's tough for me. And so that might be part of it. But for me, like I, love to support. I will support people on Patreon. I will support people on Etsy. I'll buy stuff from them. I love to support people. But what I hope is that they don't, the pursuit of needing to make money to feed your family does not completely overwhelm what you put out there because that's disappointing to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will support you, but I want you to like, like not have that support be the one thing that it's obvious you're aiming for when you're on the internet. Okay. That makes sense. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. It's like, you have to be giving more value than you're, than you are receiving. Seeking, like you're seeking, you know? And I mean, that's one of the reasons that I try to stay really diversified in the things that I do. Like I don't have all my eggs in one basket. Like I work for myself, but I have various different streams of things that are going at any given time. And there's some of them that people on the internet don't even know about because it's, they're not 
relevance to the things that I'm doing because I don't want to depend on one aspect of the work that I'm doing because then I will start feeling like like it goes back to hustle culture. I don't want to have to hustle for the money and then have that be my whole thing. Like my purpose on making videos and building community is not about making me money. That is a part of it, but that's not the focus of it. And it feels like with some, it has become more common in the planner world as more and more people are starting to create incomes from the things they're doing and more power to them. But when that becomes the focus of what that they're doing, when that's not how they started out as it Mm -hmm. just, it, to me, it starts to rub me really like raw. And I just, and so I just don't follow them as much anymore because if their audience is fine with it, then their audience is fine with it. But personally, it's just not something I'm into. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So you're saying they should be paid and it should be disclosed, right? Yes. And then when you, yeah, it's when the pursuit of getting paid of the money becomes the, maybe not the focus, like the stated focus, Mm -hmm. but that's all you can kind of glean from it. When Mm -hmm. everything that you put out is now an advertisement, whether subtle or not subtle Mm -hmm. to me, it starts to feel like one long commercial mm-hmm. and there's a reason I pay for YouTube premiums. So I don't have to watch ads, Like right. you know, like I, <laughs> I, uh, I think creators absolutely should be paid. I just, a, it's a reminder to people as they start entering into this, that you, if all you do is focus on trying to get paid, mm-hmm. you're going to lose your joy in it. Yeah. Cause that's not fun that's unless true. getting lots of money is fun for you. Then maybe you should go to <laughs> wall street. And then like, but the other thing is that like, when you're trying, I know this from personal experience, the more you try to do something specific mm-hmm. with like a specific end in sight, mm-hmm. the less likely you are to innovate, the less likely yeah. you are to, to step outside of the box and try new things. And so that's the caution I have for people, especially people who are starting to do this for themselves on like a regular basis, get paid. Remember that if getting paid is your focus, Mm -hmm. not getting paid from brands, but like doing things to make money becomes your main focus. Mm -hmm. You may lose a little bit of that ability to, um, to do the things that drew your audience in, in the first place. Mm, that's a great. And point. so, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, even if you're still focusing on the money part, but you're finding ways outside of that to like, keep your joy kindled and right. keep your creativity flowing and keep find ways to connect with your audience in mm-hmm. new and interesting ways. It's just, it's, So it's not like I'm anti people making money for the things that they're doing, but like, remember that people did not come to you to give you money in the first place. That's not what it's, Mm -hmm. they, they, they're willing to support you because you've given them something of value. Mm -hmm. So remember that to stay tuned into that idea of value, the, the payment can't be the primary focus. It can be a high focus, but it shouldn't be the primary focus. Yeah. If this is what you're doing for a living. Now that sounds like a jacked up thing to say, right? Because like, if you're going to just a job, yeah, you're going cause you're getting paid. Right. Right. But this is, this is a different fucking world. And like artists yeah. who make money on their own, 
you got to do things you don't want to do to get paid. You got to do commissions you don't want to do to get paid. You can't just necessarily pick and choose all of the things. Mm -hmm. But an artist who only does commissions that they hate will sooner or later not have any commissions to do. Right. Because you don't have your work is not going to be as good if there is no joy in it. It will not be fresh if there is no joy in it. You need to have some of that joy to keep that going to maintain the machine that can bring in the money. And so it's just, it's, I want to just, I'm, I'm saying this mostly kind of me speaking out to anybody who is wanting to work for themselves or starting to get paid by brands and things like that Mm -hmm. is to keep that. And I'm I'm not saying this because I think people suck for wanting to get paid because I think it's great that I think people should get paid. Right. But what I, I want to remind people of is that if money becomes your main focus, then you're, you, it's like, what is it? You're going to live, you either die here or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Oh, like yeah. that's, that's kind of the vibe I'm kind of going for here is that yeah. there needs to be some level. If you're going to work for yourself doing something you love sooner or later, you're not going to love it anymore. Right. Because yeah, become it's, a that, it's just, because sure. it's a job, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to continually be finding ways to bring joy in, to keep it refreshed. I'm Good. learning this myself. Yeah. Like this is me. I, I go through constantly. So mm-hmm. it's my yeah, main this advice. Is, this is great advice. This, anyone listening, like this yeah. is fantastic advice. I've had people ask me this question so many times. Like, how do I, I don't know, how do I speak to an audience? And it's just like, you're kind of giving that, that advice <laughs> right there. It's, it's just all right there. So I think that's a great, well, just, yeah. Just, I think love, it's, but, yeah. The, if I give anybody advice and like, if they want to learn how to speak to an audience or like speak in general is to speak from what you, your experience, speak from the things that you understand. Don't try to be an expert in something you don't have any experience with because you're just going to come off like everybody else who's trying to hustle to make a buck. Like Mm -hmm. just because there may not be a shit ton of people out there looking for exactly what you have or who you are, but there will be people that will identify with you. And that's where you start. You don't mm-hmm. want to start trying to go and generalize and just talk about some general fucking bullshit. <laughs> you want to talk about the things that yeah. you know, and you understand, and you have experienced and other people will find you eventually. Yeah. Good point. You oh know? my gosh. That's great. Yes. I love that so much. So Last question would be, so then how do you feel about this new creator subscription? I'm sure you've heard. I think, okay. My (laughs) thoughts, when I saw that, my honest thought was, I don't understand. Like as somebody who's had a thriving Patreon for years now, Mm -hmm. there's just not enough features. Like I have no reason Mm -hmm. to want it. This is Mm -hmm. with YouTube memberships. Like I've been qualified to offer YouTube memberships for a long time now. And I don't because- there is nothing about that that I can't already do with Patreon. Yeah. And I don't want to spread myself too thin. Now, if somebody's starting and they have a great Instagram following and they don't have a Patreon and that's the kind of thing their audience might like, then fucking more power to them. But like, mm-hmm. for me, it's like a weak sauce version of what I can do somewhere else better. Good point. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my main thought. Like, I don't care. Like, if you want to do it, <laughs> then do it. If you don't do it, then don't do it. But like, it just, it feels like a diluted version of something that's already being done somewhere. Yeah. That's why I thought it was like so. a, a, like a sucky Patreon like situation. Yeah. Like, well, that's kind of how I feel about the YouTube memberships thing too. Yeah. The only place I think I would say I, 
if I was ever going to, this is not something I plan to do, but let's just say, for example, uh-huh. if I was, if I wanted to add some other membership situation on that wasn't my own personal thing on my own hosted website, if I wanted to offer some mm-hmm. sort of other membership, looking at the other social media stuff that's out there, the only place I think that's doing something really innovative yeah. and different from Patreon, but in that same style with a social media outlet is Twitch. Oh yeah. Twitch. Yeah. Because Twitch's memberships, you know, like you get, yeah. there's a lot like YouTube's got like, if Instagram is trying to do like weak sauce, Patreon, sometimes uh-huh. it feels like YouTube memberships is trying to be like watered down Twitch. Mm-hmm. I think Twitch's methods of, um, of doing memberships and subscribing to Twitch streamers and offering like perks that are Twitch specific. Like, yeah. I think that that is outstanding for, for gamers, especially, but artists, artists who do stuff on Twitch as well, like that would be a spot to explore. But for me in the stage I'm at the Instagram thing is lackluster. There are yeah. many other things I wish Instagram would implement. I know. Right. Like maybe but then again, I can also, I can also see there's probably other creators who are like, no, this is perfect for me. So go to them more power. It's just, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. And I think that before this, they probably should have implemented some type of customer service to help people get their accounts back or something. Yeah. Like, customer service. Happy- we, I keep Sorry. hearing we're supposed to get the chronological feedback. Can we get that back, please? Why are we adding like, more things, uh, but not <laughs> getting what we need? Like not the thing everybody's been asking for since yeah. they've got rid of it. Like, you know, yeah. Thank you for this uh, subscription, but we'll take the chronological feed. We'll take the, can I subscribe to the chronological feed for free? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've kept you for way, way too long on your birthday, but I've enjoyed this conversation so much. And I want to just know what planners you're using right now and where can people find you? Even though I'm going to mention all of that in the intro, but interesting <laughs> what planners okay. you're using. <laughs> So planners I'm using for my person, I, this year I decided to separate my personal and my work planning, which is not something I have been doing since I started working for myself. Hmm. So much better, so yeah. much better. So good. So for personal, my personal life, I have the Moxie life undated nice. six month vertical. Okay. Yes. The undated six month vertical. That's where I'm doing my, all my personal life planning as well as goal setting for my personal life. Um, And then I have a bullet journal that I'm only using to do like daily brain dumps and to take Mm -hmm. like notes. I'm not doing any sort of like planning in there, except for Mm -hmm. like, if I need to break a project down or something, I'll do it in there. But it's basically like a glorified notebook at this point. Um, And then for work, I do all of my big work planning in, um, in the HB90 system. And I have it in like a half letter size. Okay. Disc situation and uh my kanban board which you can see in the video like is behind me that's where i kind of keep the overview for the quarter and then i have a plum paper daily that i use for just my daily work tasks and then digitally i use google i use the shit out of my google calendar yeah and i have been using notion but i am currently trying ClickUp. okay to, i, I tried um, notion I couldn't get into it. It reminded me of like I actually really or something. I don't know. <laughs> I really like Notion, okay. but what I am learning from it is that you really need to maintain it to mm-hmm. keep it working, and that maintenance is something that I am really not enjoying at the moment. I can have yeah. been able to get all of the things I'm loving from Notion in ClickUp with a little yeah. less maintenance. So ClickUp's cool. Um, 
but generally because I need something like digitally to kind of help keep like when I'm preparing videos and podcasts, like keep my notes and everything on there. Whereas most of my day-to-day project planning is done on paper. Yeah. Love all that. Yeah. Yeah. Notion was like stressing me out a bit, but I can see why people like it. (laughs) And I do like quick. Oh, I actually really like my notion. We used it. We used the shit out of it when we were house hunting um, to keep track of all the houses we were looking at. But, um, but I just click up, I think is it's a little more structured that doesn't require as much maintenance, but I'm still in the middle of testing it. So I don't know for sure, but yeah, my two main planners are the ones that are always open either on my, like they're open right now on my desk and they're being used is the plum paper daily for work and the moxie life vertical for my personal life. Nice. Love all that. All right. Well, and then I, go ahead. You said you wanted me like every, where people can find me. Yes, it's please. pretty much everywhere. Everywhere. If you go to my <laughs> website, which is um, cindygoodgerbaldo.com, that mm-hmm. has links to everything on it. My Patreon, my YouTube channel, the podcast, um, Instagram, mm-hmm. Discord, all places. Uh, yeah. And my books, you can find them there. All I know. Places. I didn't, I'll I didn't be, get to asking you about your books, but they look, they look amazing. Love them. Oh, I, I, I'm very, very proud of them. I'll be real with you. Like there was a process to write to, to both of them, but um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of them. Yeah. I and didn't then that part yet, but maybe you have to come back and talk about being a published author. Cause I was interested and I, <sighs> I got into everything else. We were talking about. We'll come back. We could talk about more if you want to. Okay. And it's interesting because I feel like I kind of hit the middle ground between self-publishing and going through like a, I mean, I did go through a publisher, like a publisher yeah. approached me, but like, awesome. um, it's not quite the same as like writing a book, like a book right. of mostly words right. versus mine, where I actually spent most of my time creating the art for it. Mm-hmm. Like I still had to write everything for it too, but because it's a drawing or a lettering book, mm-hmm. the focus is a little different. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to, if you will, ha- if you will come back, I would love to talk about that later. I would love to come back. I love, <laughs> I love talking to people, man. I had a wonderful conversation. So just thank you so much for being here. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your birthday. So thank you. I will. Hopefully. (laughs) Fingers crossed.